Hey everyone, this is episode seven of the Uncivilized podcast. I'm Brady and Artemis is also here with us today. Um, In today's episode, we're going to be having a really heavy focus on social anarchism. Um, Our past, uh, both of us being social anarchists and um, a critique of social anarchism as well. Um, I'll let Art start out. Yeah, so this podcast, uh, this episode sort of came to us because it's been something that we always sort of talk about just ourselves, you know, behind the scenes, our issues with social anarchists. Because a lot of our, you could say, ideological conflict, our online debates, you know, things of that nature, tend to be with social anarchists and other times, you know, Marxists. But social anarchists more often than not, because we throw the term, we usually use the term anarchists ourselves, and that tends to attract more attention from other anarchists. So I think it's good to have a discussion on sort of our ideological opponents, if you want to call them that. Um, so that's sort of where this this came from. But I think it's also good to talk about that. You know, we we are opposed to their way of thinking, but we also have Brady and I both have roots in that way of thinking. That I went through a social anarchist phase, sort of in between when I first became a primitivist. But it was more like I didn't really know what I was talking about, so I became a social anarchist for like a year year and a half i'd say you know i really delved into the way of thinking i read Proudhon, you know kropotkin you know mutual aid the factory and evolution uh factories and uh, what is it factories and workshops i read that i read plenty of emma goldman she was like my big influence and through her got me more into individualist anarchism and i eventually came back to primitivism in a newer sort of updated way of thinking but I always felt something was sort of missing in that it was just more of, you know, the emphasis on democracy and, you know, as, Bakun- as Bakunin uses a lot, like liberty, I felt like something was missing. And as I read Goldman and her egoist influence through Sterner sort of got me, you know, into Sterner, individualist anarchism and, and so on, that I realized the issue was, is that social anarchism is stuck in the sort of industrial thinking in a, in a lot of ways that, you know, hardline Marxism typically is, is that it, it sees a lot of the arguments as proletarian versus bourgeois, you know, the bourgeoisie. And I understand that to an extent, but a lot of the ways of thinking, even the rhetoric is just born out of early industrialism. And you see that through the, the emphasis on liberty, uh, through Proudhon, Kropotkin, and uh, uh, Bakunin. And I think that it limits itself through through this sort of history into that of you know, it sees democratize the workplace, democratize education, democratize politics, you know, et cetera, et cetera, rather than an abolition of these concepts, you know, you, you abolish, what it should be is to abolish politics, abolish the workplace, abolish schools, but they, they don't take it far enough because the way of thinking is necessarily self-limiting and self-defeating. And that's sort of the crux of what this argument is. If Brady, you know, if you want to go on more about that, maybe your history, and we can go from there. Yeah, no, I would go uh, so far as to say that it's not even self-limiting or self-defeating, but it's necessarily um, outdated as well. Um, You see a lot of the sentiments that uh, influenced the early social anarchist movements uh, in Europe, mainly in France, um, where originally these trade unionist groups Um, started off advocating uh, that the anarchist collective should vote within the electoral system to have change uh, come about. Uh, They then later redacted on that position. I'll have to throw out some links. I don't remember the exact dates, 
Um, but in the early uh, 1900s or late 1800s is when they started to take this stance against voting. Um, so you can see that a lot of the theory and literature has to have been updated after that point um, because of how the social anarchist movements have um, sort of evolved since that time. But you don't see a whole lot of any new theory coming out against things like the global techno-industrial system, um, the global factory farming system, which I would still link into the techno-industrial system. Um, we can go on a whole nother rant about uh, the anthropocentric and uh, basically humanist rhetoric that we see within a lot of social anarchist uh, spheres, which I am heavily against, and I know art is as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't really have as interesting of a past when it comes to social anarchism. Um, it was really the first thing that, that uh, caught my mind when I became a leftist was this idea of the glorious insurrection and a time and a place where all people can live together in a, in a society of horizontal association um, and free association between people. Uh, it was really just a romantic idea that kind of sucked me in through um, Kropotkin's literature in uh, Mutual Aid, um, as well as uh, Fields Factories and Workshops, like um, Art was saying earlier. Um, I got really into um, the platformist views and ideals of Makano, and I didn't really get as heavy into Goldman because of the sort of uh, individualist and egoist tendencies that Art was mentioning um, earlier. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my history. I never really um, called myself anything other than an anarcho-communist until I uh, became a post-left anarchist starting to read Bob Black and uh, starting to develop my positions uh, against work and against the entire political climate that we see today. And yeah, now I'm here. I'm an anti-tech anarchist who wants to abolish everything. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because the, the interesting thing that, you know, social anarchism, by the name, right, social anarchism, I think almost a better term for most circles or tendencies within social anarchism should be called labor anarchism because the issue is because you'd think social anarchism would be an anarchism or anarchy of the social, you know, the spheres of, of life and relationship outside of work, but it rarely ever does that. And when it does, it doesn't go far enough. And a lot of time people are like, that's too radical. You know, anarchism isn't about chaos and, and no one ever really pushes the anarchy as chaos sort of motif, but it's like, they push that onto you when you say that they don't go far enough. Because it's essentially, if you think about it, if you look at the, the development of liberalism, especially through the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, most will call it labor anarchism in this, in this context, is essentially really just radical liberalism in how they view the individual. In, in that, you know, they talk about liberty and Bakunin essentially calls for the, the total equality of all persons. And that essentially all that is, is just an actualization of what liberals talk about today instead of anything, anything new. Well, yes, you know, you can say liberal countries indeed don't like provide equality for people. All anarchism does is essentially try to fulfill what liberalism promises and doesn't really break that, you know, you kind of touched on it, humanist anthropocentric rhetoric that tends to go on. And when people criticize concepts like, you know, the agricultural industrial system the the industrial war machine or industrialism 
or industrial society, you know, however you want to say it, they're like, well, you know, it, it's because certain people own it. You know, it, the morality and the ethics of the of the industrial uh, systems it plays entirely into who controls the systems. And it's while that is true to an extent, I wonder how liberatory those ideas really are. You know what I mean? In I that, definitely like, agree. I definitely agree. I think a lot of the arguments that we tend to have with social anarchist types and even a lot of um, even a lot of uh, like ultra leftists and communizer types is that the uh, the global techno industrial system is only at the stage that it's at within uh, alienation of the self because of who controls the means of production and who ultimately controls the uh, the techno industrial system. And I think that it's the same types of people who claim to be uh, anti-moralist, especially on the um, on sort of the ultra left and uh, like the communizer left communist types who are making this moralistic argument that cannot be borne out with facts at all. Um, so it's it's kind of like um, arguing against. Um, I'm trying to think of a good of a good comparison here. Um, Sort of like how a lot of social anarchists also when defending um, like uh, Catalonia, revolutionary Spain, um, in arguing against their uh, their gulags, their prisons that they had there, that, oh, prisons aren't necessarily bad. We talk about burning the prisons, but the uh, the workers, the revolutionaries are the ones who can prisons. So they're not bad. It's all about who is in control at the time. And I think that it's it's pretty laughable, to be honest. Yeah, and it gets into this sort of weird moral relativism. Uh, it, it, it lacks any real nuance. You know, people say, well, we'll have green technology. Uh, the competitive nature of capitalism will be abolished. Therefore, we'll have to take less shortcuts in production. And while that's true, and I'm not saying that, for example, a, a social or labor anarchist society wouldn't to some extent limit the ecological footprint because of things like the exploitation of the third world. But I'm wondering, it's again, like, how far are you really going? What would that really produce? And how far can you answer that without just falling into determinism? Like saying it will be this way. Because I think that the argument, again, I going back a little bit to the idea that it's just basically, it's stuck in the industrial way of thinking that the proletariat has a sort of moral high ground or this historical responsibility to be, quote, like, good people, that the control of technology <laughs> will be good because the proletariat will control it. Again, not even going into the fact that we should work to abolish the proletariat, not just put them in power, but that's like a whole nother argument <laughs> that we can talk about later on. But like, I think that sort of argument lacks any nuance. It's, I'm not saying again that like a social, obviously social change would change the way technology develops, but there, I would say that there are basic tendencies within technology as long as the way, it, the root of the modern technology technological system the root of it and how it's developed gives it basic values basic self-evident values um and these have been talked about for a while that they lead to this sort of bureaucratization bureaucratization of like of social systems and politics and those have been evident and i wonder how far can that really go even through something like a social anarchist movement if that makes sense yeah, no, I, I definitely get what you're saying. And I don't know if I would even be as charitable to the to the social anarchist types when you're talking about uh, clearly the uh, the footprint that humanity has 
on the environment would, would be limited uh, because obviously a change in the mode of production, not one focused on uh, profit and uh, commoditization, um, would limit the amount of damage done to the global ecosystems. Um, but I don't think I would be as charitable when talking about how exploitation of the third world would necessarily uh, cease or be reduced, especially when you're talking to the types of anarchists who believe in post-scarcity. I think if you are a genuine person um, and you're not just lying to yourself and others when you talk about post-scarcity anarchism, uh, that that would necessitate the further exploitation of the third world to achieve that goal. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know if you if you necessarily agree with that. I'm I'm sure you do, but I don't think we've ever talked about this before. Yeah, and the the thing that like this sort of green technology will just be like automated. That every everything's going to be automated. I love that. We'll automate everything. Everything <laughs> will be automated. People won't have to work. But here's the thing: if everyone talks about it's it's to me, it's almost like it's one or the other in most cases. It's either we automate everything. Or we spread democracy without the work through the workplace. Which one is it? Because if we automate everything, work isn't a thing. Unless you mean it's a mean, democracy is a means to an end. But it's like, why don't we just abolish work? Because people like, but then they get into, and this is where the the first world sort of bias comes in. It's like, well, we can't keep up the 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 standard of living, and then that's that's where it comes through. Is they want the first world standard of living for everyone everywhere as if that is actually possible, as if the way we presented the first world standard of living, you know, obviously there are some dis, you know, disparities between how the first world works, but let's say white upper middle class first world living, let's say like that, you know, generally that's what we're talking about when we talk about standard of living. Yeah. I agree. How, fucking, how fucking colonial in like colonialist that way of thinking is that we need to upkeep this, this way of life as if that's not built off of hundreds of years of slavery and exploitation of like minorities. And that suddenly we will be able to keep that up because we automate something. But then who, who is building these machines? How do we get there? Are you telling me that people are willingly wanting to get into those mines for the greater good? No, no, they won't. No, Art, you forgot, but we're going to build rockets and we're going to go mine resources on asteroids. Then we don't have to harm the planet. Oh, I forgot that building missiles has no ecological footprint. How, how could I forget? <laughs> Not at all. No, I'm sure the um, I'm sure the Congolese children in the cobalt mines uh, fighting over blood resources to feed our addiction to technology will be really happy to hop back down in the in the uh, in the mines when the social anarchist collectives go to Africa and convince them that it's for the betterment of humanity. I'm sure that that's yeah. going to go down really well with the people there. Oh, of course, and then and then it forgets the um. And Weber talks about this in some of his works that he talks about rationalization, basically deconstruction of of sort of personal views, culture, the sort of human touch in favor of a rash of rationality, which is sort of the ideology you get with the um, the assembly line, like for, you know, Fordist uh, industrial like ethics, things of that nature. We're in favor of, you know, someone could bake you a pie and it has the, quote, human touch, you know, something that's, it, you have that nice feeling about it, whether, or you just get it where it's made in like a factory. You know what I mean? There, like there's exactly. a difference, there's a difference in social relation and technology's aim is rationalization. And through rationalization, you have a, a raised 
quality of life for a certain group of people. And that is typically, you know, speaking for most of first world, upper to upper middle class white people, you know, colonizers, settlers. But then, you know, they lacked any goddamn nuance about how we talk about technology because they're like, well, we'll just automate it or when the proletarian have it. Like they lack nuance to that. And it's mind boggling because they refuse to listen because they just say, it's, you know, they, they immediately skip any nuance. It's the, when the proletarian have it, we will have green technology, which is a fucking lie, by the way. <laughs> the division of labor will go away, which doesn't make sense because to upkeep this large system, you need a division of labor. Whether or not it's more voluntary doesn't mean anything because it is still the, 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 the level of it would require levels of specialization. And, and humans can only specialize so far into fields that they are useful, I suppose, if that, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, you can, break down, you can break down the modern education system and wage labor and people can learn more and more skills, which, you know, I won't say is a bad thing, but, how, you know, you have to specialize long term in order to be useful to that, that sort of field you're working in. So especially if you want to keep expanding and you want to get into fully automated gay space luxury communism. Oh, I with- fucking hate that shit. Anytime I hear someone say that, I instantly like lose any sense of seriousness when I'm talking to them. I can't stand it. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the environmental impact that would have it is fucking mind-blowing. Green technology, solar panel or not, is fucking dumb. And even fucking uh, Butchin, who denounced anarchism, and I have my own issues with social ecology, towards, you know, he pushed, like, that's not something we could do. To an extent, he is what you can call a neo-Luddite, if you understand what neo-Luddism actually is and the fact that it's basically like environmental reforms and that limiting certain technologies in favor of others. Even Butchin sort of fit that description. He's like, you, we can't do that. That's not something we can do. If we want to maintain an equilibrium between humans, which to me is a construct in the rest of nature. And if Butchin can say something smart, I hope other people can say some other smart shit. <laughs> But yeah, it's very rare. rare. It's, it's very rare to get a hot take from uh, from Bookchin. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's strange. Um, I think now since we've kind of railed on that a little bit, I think explaining our positions uh, would be good as well. So we can kind of have open dialogue with the hordes of social anarchists that are either going to be messaging us on our Instagram page or uh, raging, baby raging in the comment section of the video. So I'll uh, kind of explain my views a little bit. It's kind of strange. I don't really know how to explain my personal views on anarchism, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself a, uh, a philosophical anarchist. Um, I'm against the uh, singularity idea of the uh, insurrection or of anarchist society. Um, I see myself and... Um, I wouldn't even necessarily say myself, but how I actualize who I am as a person through the lens of mass society. So I don't really take any idealist or deterministic stances on a uh, insurrection or a movement against mass society itself. So I don't know if you really want to explain your position on that too, because I, I don't know. I know you considered yourself an anarchist before, but I'm kind of interested in uh, where you I, see I yourself now. I'm off and on with the word anarchist. It sort of depends who my audience is, I suppose. Because if I'm talking to anarchists, I can relate to them. But, like, I don't strive for an anarchist society. And I've moved away from what I call collapse politics. Typically what you see in, like, Kaczynskian circles, this sort of movement 
against against industrialism or people who advocate even like a natural collapse, which may or may not happen. I'm not going to be determinist and say either way. I think it's a possibility that the industrial system can either utilize capitalism to hurdle itself forward in terms of technology to save itself. Communism might come about to mitigate the damage and save society or prolong the effects of a collapse. Or society might cave in on itself and 7 billion people die in the course of two years. None of those things seem valuable to me. And I think a lot of people misunderstand me and other primitivists. And there are some who are like this because they're fucking weirdos and we shouldn't, you know, talk to them. Is that the advocation of the death of billions of people, I think, is immature and extremely fucking Eurocentric to ignore that the, the reason we have such a high population. And, me, you know, you and I can agree with socialists on this point. It is the matter of exploitation that occurs and the, the imperialism of the, of the social life to those in the developing world in their relation to the first. And that's the reason there's such a high population. And I'm not saying communism would solve all those issues in terms of population. And I don't think we should apply a solution to population. But I do also think we should have an analysis of overpopulation that takes into account consumption and production within capitalism. And I think that's important. But essentially, I'm sort of rambling, but I think the point is I, I don't consider myself having praxis against the system outside of non-ideological, individual, localized developments, so to speak, in which everyone, you know, rewilds in their own way they see fit. And, you know, you have different projects. Uh, Julian Langer, who wrote Mesdemona, I, I wrote a review for him a few months ago. Him and I had a good talk about this, and he considers himself hardcore anti-ideology. And I recommend everyone to look him up, and I will link his relevant works down below. Uh, you know, you have individuals tending towards the wild with, you know, what you can lightly call problematic. And we might even have, you know, some I might have <laughs> conversations about them in the future. They have their own project. You have, you know, Zerzan and Tucker talking about future primitive and primal war, respectively. You know, you have these different you know, takes on things that are outside of the collapse politics, so to speak. And I think as, as primitivists, as, you know, eco-anarchists, radical environmentalists, whatever, we need to mature and move past that. Because now I feel if we get hung up on that, we're going to fall into the same issue social anarchism does, uh, standard Marxism does. I think that if we aren't always basically reanalyzing and self-criticizing both us ourselves as individuals and our analysis as whole, where you're going to get stuck in a loop. And that is not what we need given current conditions with the environmental degradation, uh, you know, the strife of rogue nations like North Korea, the issues like what we were just having with Iran and Iraq, literally what, like two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Like we, we, this is not a time to fall in, in into lapse and in, in, into this sort of, hibernation of ideas and i think we need to constantly be self-criticizing so uh, the main question was do i call myself an anarchist and i've gone on for like two extra minutes but <laughs> yes and no i see the value in calling myself an anarchist but i would almost i hate using the term post anarchist but i suppose people have you know called me that since i've taken on post-structuralist analysis but uh, i think the term it's you know individuals tending towards savagery uses is eco-extremist and, you know, I, I do disagree with them on a lot. And I'm not going to condone or agree or whatever with a lot of their ideas because I think they're fucking stupid in many regards. But I'm not going to spe speak past them as, like, indigenous people. But I do use the term eco-extremist because I do find myself agreeing with 
some of what they say, but I also, some people call me post-primitivist. I think labels are just fucking dumb. And we're going to do an episode on labels and why they fail, but we decided that wasn't enough content. But I think there is value in, in criticizing labels, but anarchist, eco-extremist, uh, eco-anarchist, I call myself occasionally. Um, but I think because of the social spheres and the social analysis of anarchism as a whole, I tend not to use that term anymore in favor of just primitivist uh, occasionally and things of that nature. So, but like you said, like, yeah, I would agree. I would agree to be honest, like just because of the, of the connotations that these words have and uh, the sort of relevant spaces that they exist in. I think that it is important to necessarily separate ourselves from uh, anarchist spheres and uh, sort of the uh, collapse politics groups like you were uh, mentioning earlier, which I think, I'll be honest, we've all had that phase before. It's kind of like when someone becomes a Marxist for the first time and they defend uh, the Soviet Union and talk about uh, the Holdemore and uh, like, oh, Holdemore didn't happen and Stalin should have killed more people, but he didn't and all of this type. Um, but yeah. I, I definitely agree with you on on labels. We were even having a little bit of a discussion before we started recording on um, how we should introduce ourselves. And I think we are both sort of kind of confused on how we should even do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was going to kind of continue this as well is, you know, I, you know, going on labels is how hard it is, is, you know, Luddism. I kind of throw that label around, but, you know, hist- historically they weren't anti-tech. They were just, they were kind of like, I call them, they were basically like labor anarchists or labor movement. They were a labor movement in which they just didn't want technology ruining their way of life because remember feudalism to them. And this is where like social anarchism almost makes more sense in this sort of like feudal early industrial era is how closely linked one's way of life was to their specific line of work because they were handcraftsmen, you know, you know textile workers things of that nature but they weren't anti-tech they were just like hey stop fucking automating our jobs is basically just what they were saying so uh luddism is a term i sometimes throw around i i I coined the term for a bit new luddism as opposed to neo but even then that just wasn't working so anti-industrial anti-tech anti-civilization anarchists are also valid and to tell you just to just call yourself anti-civilization is good uh, Kaczynski and their kind call themselves anti-tech, and I think that's super fucking, that's just reductionist, as is a lot of Ted's analysis, is just reductionist and doesn't see the core of the alienation brought on by by technology. But I think also what's good is talking about civilization, you know, we were just touching on uh, environmental issues, is that another conversation I was having with Julian Langer is the failure of leftism and radical politics to accept the fact that climate change really cannot be stopped. And like climate scientists have been saying that you can't stop it. You can mitigate it. Like, I think people are not understanding what's being talked about is you can't stop what the fuck is happening. We can mitigate it, especially what's going on with the oceans warming at a rate that was like unprecedented. It's fucking ridiculous. It is unbelievable. And so I think that's another issue social anarchism has and primitivism. And that's probably a topic we can talk about in a future episode is 
the stuff, the save the world politics or the the save the world thought is going to kill us in the end. In my in my humble opinion, that it's it's a misguided train of thought that we need to put aside for better politics. And I think Desert kind of touches on this, and I think that's where the book the work succeeds. But I'm kind of going off off topic, and you know we've gone on for about 28, 29 minutes now. But um, something I want to touch on before we start ending this episode is I do and will admit I have social anarchist affinities or influence specifically with the points Bakunin makes in the quote that a passion for destruction is also a creative passion. His influence on the Russian nihilists are an indirect influence on me through people like Neshev. Uh, I think Kropotkin's sort of revolutionary way of thinking about evolution is important. I think it's a little outdated. I think the way we apply it can be reapplied rather than saying, oh, it's actually cooperation. We need to break down the dichotomy of co- cooperation and competition as just human constructs to help us understand the larger ecosystems. And rather we need to see them either they are constantly in flux or rather just ideas that aren't really there that just help us understand it. And then also, I think Proudhon's economic, or Proudhon and, Proudhon and Bakunin are both important for their critiques of capitalism. And I think they're good. I think the conclusions are a little misguided. But I think that, you know, uh, Proudhon's influence on Marx and vice versa, including Bakunin, are important. And uh, <clears throat> so it's not like I just I'll hate everything that's ever come out of social anarchism, because I would never say that, because it has a major influence on the development of anarchism. And I would say without social anarchism, our thought wouldn't be where it is, because it's also, it's propelled, it put social, it put anarchism on the map alongside individualist anarchism, which we haven't talked about too much this episode. Um, but I think that things like platformism is very interesting. And then what's called specificism, I think is what it's called, this sort of the Spanish alternative to platformism. Those are interesting counter ideas to leftist concepts like the vanguard and vanguardism. And so it's not like I, I you know, outright hit, hate every idea that's ever come out of social anarchism, but I appreciate some of it. And I can admit that. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree. Um, without the social anarchist movements, um, I wouldn't even just argue that our thought wouldn't be where it is today, but I'm not sure that our thought would exist. Um, it's not necessarily that we're talking about how much we hate social anarchism or that we hate social anarchists. It's the best way to describe this would almost be like a, a parent who's not angry with their child, but disappointed. Like we're, disappointed. we're disappointed. Yeah, we're disappointed <laughs> with the social anarchist types for being stuck in their in their theory and their logic loop that ended in the early 1900s. Uh, we want we want you guys to come into our fold. We want you to start reading updated theory on uh, on technological um, uh, on the technological advancements and how it alienates us. We want to talk about uh, anthropocentrism and humanism and why they're garbage. We want you to join us, but you have to get out of your logic loop and get out of your echo chambers. So I know we're going to have a lot of angry people in the comments of this. And we even got um, someone who runs a certain uh, anarchist uh, literature catalog on the internet and also another podcast, as well as a website that sells anarchist literature. 
to sort of comment on our guests and on the points of view that were mentioned in that video that I would say that both Art and I agreed with uh, necessarily. And so we're going to get the people from Warzone Distro back on and see if we can start us a little debate between us and this, uh, <laughs> and this anarchist that we will not name. But uh, we'll definitely keep you all in the loop on that. Uh, it should be interesting. If it lines itself up, this might be a, this might be a good one. We're going to get blacklisted from all anarchist literature on the internet is what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that should be exciting. And uh, if there's anything that you uh, want to talk about further in the comments, if you have some criticisms of her criticisms, definitely feel free to put those down there. And uh, yeah, this has been episode seven of the Uncivilized podcast, and we hope you all have a good night.